0: Well, let's pray and ask God to help us understand his word. Let's pray. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for giving us your word, the Bible. We pray now that as we look at your laws to Israel, that you help us to understand them in the right framework, but uh, not just to get away with theology, we pray that you might help us to put into practice what we learned this morning, that we may live as people who love and serve you, who love and serve you in our covenant with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Well, in our studies in Exodus, we're up to chapter 20, uh, verse 22. In this next section, we're still in Sinai, uh, and uh, God, has, uh, God has rescued Israel out of Egypt. He's covenanted with them. They've agreed to obey him. And uh, now at Mount Sinai, God is going to give them all of these laws to show them how to live as his people. Okay, so without further introduction, let's just dive straight in. Let's have a look. Let's dive in and have a look at these laws that God gives to his rescued people at Mount Sinai. First part, God starts off by talking about the kind of worship he wants. He says he will tolerate no rival. You don't worship God and some other God as well. You don't add God to your pantheon of gods. If you worship God, you worship God alone. Have a look with me. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 22. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this, You've seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. God also talks about the kind of altars that he wants, the kind of uh, altars are sort of blocks for, for sacrificing on. God says, nothing fancy, please. Nothing like the idle altars of the nations. Just want earth or plain stones. Because God is looking for sincere worship. Not, not, not for fancy stuff. Sincere worship of himself alone. That's worship. Next section. God starts to talk about how to treat Hebrew slaves. The people who serve you. A Hebrew slave can only serve you for six years. After that, you've got to let him go. Chapter 21, verse 2. Chapter 21, verse 2. If you buy a Hebrew servant... He's to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. Uh, The only exception comes after that. If he wants to stay with you, verses 5 to 6, there's a ceremony for a slave to stay with you permanently. Uh, also rules there for female slaves. You don't buy a slave, uh, sleep with her or give her to your son to sleep with and then ditch her, says God. You sleep sleep with her, then you treat her like a wife. You you give her to your son to sleep with, he needs to treat her like a wife. Pick it up, verse 10, 21.10 he marries another woman he must not deprive the first one that's the slave of her food clothing and marital rights if he does not provide her with these three, three things she's to go free without any payment of money okay worship then slaves next section is all about injuries about hurting people It uh, starts off with this by saying if you kill someone it's the death penalty unless uh, it was an accident verse 12 verse 12 Anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall surely be put to death. However, if he does not do it intentionally, but God lets it happen, he's to flee to a place I'll designate. But if a man schemes and kills another man deliberately, take him away from my altar, put him to death. And then you get all the different kinds of injuries. 18 to 21, if you injure someone, you have to pay for their loss of time. If you hit a pregnant woman, 22 to 25, you have to give compensation. If you hit a slave, verses 26 to 27, you have to compensate them. If your animals hurt people, 28 to 32, you have to compensate. If you hurt someone's animal, you have to compensate. If your animal hurts their animal, again, you have to compensate. It's taking us into verses 35 to 36. Uh, Lots of different situations, lots of different cases that no doubt had come up in Israel, but the idea behind it all is very simple. Don't hurt people. Don't hurt people. Take care of people. Don't hurt their animals. Take care of them and their things. If you do hurt people or their animals, then fix it up. Pay Pay for your damage. Chapter 22, we move uh, from injuring people and animals to stuff, to, to stealing. Again, the big idea is very simple, don't steal. If you do, you pay back what you took many times over. Chapter 22, verse 1, 22:1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox, four sheep for the sheep. Or well, halfway through verse 3, halfway through verse 3, a thief must certainly make restitution. But if he has nothing, he must be sold to pay for his theft. You don't steal, and if you borrow something or you're keeping it for someone, the laws go on to say you look after it. You act responsibly with other people's stuff. That's verses seven to fifteen. Uh, verses sixteen to seventeen is a particular kind of stealing. It's where you steal virginity. If you seduce someone's daughter, you have to pay the wedding dowry. Even if your da- even if her dad won't let you marry her, you still have to pay the dowry. Okay, so we've looked at uh, worship, slaves, we've looked at uh, injuring injuries, we've looked at stealing. Now we go back to worship, briefly. Verses 18 to 20, God again says he's not going to tolerate idolatry or idolatrous practice. He wants sincere worship to himself alone. That's verse 18. Do not allow a sorceress to live. Anyone who has sexual relations with an animal must be put to death. These are all pagan worship practices, believe it or not. Whoever sacrifices to any god God other than the Lord must be destroyed. From worship we then move to deal with the disadvantaged, with foreigners, with widows, with orphans, with poor people. God demands that his people care for the disadvantaged. If they won't, he says, he will punish. They might not be able to defend themselves, but God will defend them. Verse 21. Verse 21. Do not ill-treat an alien or oppress him. If you are aliens in Egypt, do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do and they cry out to me, I'll certainly hear their cry. My, ang- my anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows, your children fatherless. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not be like a money lender. Charge him no interest. Unheard of in our con- context and culture, isn't it? Charge him No interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it to him by sunset, because his cloak is the only covering he has for his body. What else will he sleep in? When he cries out to me, I'll hear, for I am compassionate. Do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people by the way you treat disadvantaged people. Uh, Next, we're back to worship. Notice the way it's just... uh, Worship keeps coming up, keeps being insinuated into this all-of-life stuff. It's not worship Sunday and, or Saturday and the rest of life is, is separate. It's all meshed, mashed in together. Back to worship. God demands that his people worship him with their very best, with the first of what they have, not with the dregs, not with the leftovers, not in a stingy way, no, no. He wants generous worship. Verse 29. Do not hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats, you must give me the firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle and your sheep. Let them stay with their mothers for seven days, but give them to me on the eighth day. Uh, next we shift to issues of justice, particularly focused on law courts. Now, the Israelites are made to make sure that justice is done for all people. They're to act justly. Pick it up in verse 6, chapter 23 and verse 6. 23, 6. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge, and do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the righteous. Do not oppress an alien. You yourselves know how it feels to be aliens, because you were aliens in Egypt. And we come to the final section, and again, we finish as we started, we finish with worship. These last laws deal with worship with uh, this time with the the festivals there's the sabbath year it's every seventh year you don't work it's the sabbath day every seventh day you don't work and there are three great festivals for israel let's uh, pick it up in verse 14 these three special festivals chapter 23 verse 14 three times a year you were to celebrate a festival to me celebrate the feast of unleavened bread for seven days eat bread made without yeast as i commanded you do this at the appointed time in the month of Abib for in that month you came out of Egypt no one's to appear before me empty handed celebrate the feast of harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field celebrate the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field three times a year all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord and then we finish off with a couple of laws about the festivals okay so that's the passage lightning tour lightning tour flashing through the passage All right, there's a lot of it isn't there uh, but it's actually, it's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? It's pretty simple. It's just case laws, effectively. Uh, case laws. The question is, the question is, what do we do with it? What do we do with this stuff? How do we apply these laws to ourselves? Now, we did talk about this at length last week. I'm not going to go into a lot of repetition. We talked a lot about this last week. And the thing that we saw is we've got to get the right framework to apply these laws. We've got to get the framework. So first, we need to recognise that these are not laws that lead to salvation. It is not a case of do these laws and you'll be right with God. When God gave these laws to Israel, he'd already saved them. They were already his people rescued out of Egypt. Not laws for salvation. Laws for saved people. Second, these laws are part of a special covenant, a special deal that God made with Israel. They're not meant for people outside of Israel. In fact, they're not even directed at Christians. Uh, uh, We Christians, we are in a new covenant with God. We are in a relationship with God through Jesus. God does not say to us, keep these laws and you'll be my special treasured possession. God says, trust in Jesus and you'll be forgiven and given the spirit and made my people. And the Bible says that under our new covenant with God through Jesus, we are not, and I quote, under the law, we are not under the law. Now, when you're uh, outlined there, I've put that passage from Galatians that we looked at last week. So I think this is one of the clearest and most helpful illustrations to think about applying the law. So have a look with me again at that little passage from Galatians and uh, the New Word. From now on at weddings, it's not Hevel anymore for the photos. It's now Pythagoras. All right. Uh, the law, can you see it? Became a Pythagoras for us towards Christ in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that the faith has come, we are no longer under the paedagogos. As I said last week, that paedagogos is a slave, an, an educated slave, a slave that parents would employ or purchase as a tutor for their children. Here's how the situation works when the children are children they are under the Pythagogos the Pythagogos is their teacher, their master he has authority over them, he sets the exams they have to do as they're told but once they grow up they're not under the education of the tutor anymore the tutor, the Pythagogos is just another slave in their house Well, Paul picks up on that image and he says the law the Old Testament law is like a Pythagogos Israel, like a child was under the law they had to obey it But when you trust in Jesus, Paul says, when the faith comes, it's like you grow up and you're not under the Pythagogos anymore, as it says there. Now that the faith has come, we're no longer under the Pythagogos. We've got to get this clear, people. We must get this clear. We are not under this old covenant law. We don't have to obey this in our covenant with God through Jesus. It has no direct authority over us. And if you look at it, you can see that uh, it's very specific for Israel and for their situation. I mean, just take the last law, the very last law there. Uh, Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Uh, That's probably forbidding some pagan worship practice of the day. No direct relevance to us, uh, except perhaps that that we shouldn't engage in the pagan worship practices of our day, but not directly relevant. Although I should say this, that we we had a, a slightly humorous, quite humorous, I thought, funny incident in Bible study this week. Uh, One person who speaks beautiful English, but not as her first language, had the NRSV at Bible study. And it read, and she read it, do not boil a kid in its mother's milk. (laughs) She read it, and she said, that's terrible. Who would ever boil their kid in its mother's milk? We explained that a kid is a baby goat, and uh, it all got sorted out. Anyway, this is a specific law for Israel. It doesn't apply to us. Please don't boil your kids in their mother's milk. If you can get enough mother's milk, I'll be impressed. Please don't boil your kids in their mother's milk. But don't worry too much about goat, all right? Do you get the point? This is Israel's law, part of their covenant with God, okay? However, however, having said that, as we saw last week, this Pythagogos, this Old Testament law, it's still got a thing or two to teach us. We can still learn from the Pythagogos. He still knows a thing or two. God's law shows something of his character, his everlasting character, something of what he wants from his people. We serve the same God as Israel and our God still demands that we live for him, that we serve him, that we offer our whole lives to him. And the Pythagogos... The Old Testament law can give us some clues, some clues about how we are to live in a way that is pleasing to God, to, about, about how we can serve the God who has forgiven us and brought us into relationship with himself through Jesus. And so the Old Testament laws and principles, they keep on being picked up in the New Testament in different ways and used and applied in different ways to Christians. So what I want to do now is this. These laws were meant for Israel to obey, to please the God who had saved them. I don't think it'd be fair if I didn't hassle you a little bit this morning about your obedience to God as you can see in your outline I've boiled down these laws into five categories and I want us to think about how we are going I want us to think about how we are serving the God who has saved us I'm not going to take specific laws but I'm just going to take up ideas, principles that are found in these laws that are picked up in the New Testament in different ways and I want us to think about how they apply to us. Now, I'm going to be throwing a lot of stuff at you right now. Uh, I suspect it may be overwhelming and in one sense, that's what I want. That's good because the New Testament says that God's law should make us conscious of our sin. If you come out of this next five or ten minutes thinking, oh, you've got all that under my belt, you haven't heard, all right? This is meant to be overwhelming you with how far short you fall of God's standards. But I don't just want you to be overwhelmed. I want you to just grab hold of maybe one or two things. Grab hold and think about, yeah, okay, how can I make some practical steps to be more godly, to to, to please the God who has saved me through Jesus? Okay, can you see where we're going? All right, see the five points? Was it five on your outline? Six points? Six points on your outline? Okay, number one. Number one. The godly Israelite is a worshipper. A sincere worshipper. Not, not with fancy altars, but with a sincere heart. A, uh, not having any other gods beside God. Not worshipping idols. Uh, the godly, godly Israelite is also a generous worshipper. He gives God the best of his stuff generously. He doesn't hold back when it comes to God. He's not stingy. He doesn't give God the dregs or the leftovers. Also, we've seen from the law that the godly Israelite is a joyful worshipper. Engaging in the festivals. Week by week on the Sabbath. Year after uh, every seventh year on the Sabbath, three times a year for the festivals, the godly Israelite takes out time to, to, to thank God, to, to joyfully celebrate God's goodness. Friends, the New Testament is clear about it. We don't have to follow all these rules in Exodus, but like the Israelites, we should be sincere, generous, Joyful worshippers. Romans 12 says we should offer our whole lives to God in view of his mercy. 1 John 5, keep yourself from idols. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9 talks about our joyful generosity. Philippians 4 talks about rejoicing in the Lord. So friends, let me ask you this. Are you a godly worshipper? Are you sincere, generous, joyful? Let's think about sincerity. Are you sincere in worship? I don't know about you, but I find it pretty easy to just go through the motions in worship. My mind is wandering all over the place. This is the best time for me to think of all those jobs I haven't done when I'm having a prayer time because my mind wanders like crazy. Uh, or or I, I do what I do, especially in public, with an eye to what other people are thinking of me. I'm not concerned about what God is thinking of me. I'm not always sincere in my worship. You know, I reckon a very good litmus test Is how you go when you're worshipping by yourself. When no one else is watching you. When there's no one else to impress except God. How are you going on that one? Are you a sincere worshiper? What about generosity in worship? Where does church come in your budget? We don't talk about money a lot here at this church, but where does church come in your budget? Is it a case of spend up on everything else and if there's anything left over, you give? Is it a case of uh, scrambling through your wallet on a Sunday and if there happens to be anything there, you give? Or or does your giving come as a planned part of your budget? I think that for most people, giving giving electronically is way better than giving in the plate. It means you've got to plan in advance, this is what we will give and it means that it's coming out regularly. Anyway, the point is, be generous and not just about money of course is it where does god come in your diary where does god come in your diary is it a case of uh, fit everything else in and if there's any time left over then maybe i'll get to church or bible study if there's any time left over then maybe i'll read the bible and pray with my family or by myself does god get your leftovers or have you blocked out times and places this is non-negotiable locked out times and places to spend in the deliberate and intentional worship of God. The godly person is sincere, generous in worship. The godly person is also joyful in worship. Are you joyful in worship? Does it give you joy that God loves you and has given Jesus to die for you? Does it give you joy that you have eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you sing with joy? Interested to know how the singers standing here feel as they look out on your faces, whether they're getting anything back from you, whether they're getting any joy, any enthusiasm, any inspiration, or whether it's like looking at some people who've just sucked a lemon. Any joy in your singing? Do you praise God with joy? Do you you celebrate what God has done for you or has the joy faded? Has it been strangled by the thorns of the worries of this life? Are you a godly worshipper, sincere, generous, joyful? That brings us to our second point. You'll be pleased to know the next points aren't quite as long. That brings us to our second point. The godly Israelite is respectful to those who serve him, treats his slaves as human beings, even as brother or sister Israelites, even as a wife, he shows respect. Again, the New Testament tells us the same. It tells masters to treat their slaves rightly and fairly. It tells all of us to, ser- to treat those who serve us with respect and dignity. You know, you know, they say, if you want to know what someone is really like, you don't look at how they relate to their boss. You don't look at how they relate to the people above them. You want to know what someone's really like, you look at the way they relate relate to the people below them, the people working for them, the people serving them. Friends, how are you going on that one? How do you treat the people who serve you? I have to say, I'm sometimes embarrassed to watch Christians in a restaurant to see the way they treat the waiters, to see what a mess they make of the place. How do you treat waiters? Laura was telling me earlier about how uh, terrible the church group that uses the movie theatres are if they don't get their coffee on time. How do you treat the shop staff who serve you? How do you treat people in the call centres who serve you, even if they don't happen to be in this country? How do you treat the nurses who serve you? Uh, The other night I was in Royal North Shore with a suspected broken ankle for Joshua. We had to wait for hour after hour after hour. People were being very mean to the nurses who were serving them. How do you treat the people who serve you? Are you respectful? Are you patient? Are you kind? If you're like me, you've got a few things to say sorry to God about on this issue. Some arrogance to repent of. Some rudeness to repent of. The godly person treats those who serve them with respect. Third point is this. The godly Israelite had to take care not to hurt people or their animals. If they hurt people, they had to fix it up. The New Testament tells us to do the same. He says, get rid of bitterness, anger, rage, brawling, slander, malice, be kind, be compassionate. How are you going on that one? Are you ever violent with people? Are you ever violent with people? I hope not. Are you reckless about people's safety? How do you drive your car? What's you driving like? Do you drive carefully? Do you, do you take care not to hurt other people? How are you with safety around the house? Do you, do you leave stuff lying around for people to fall over? Or do you take care? Do you think about the safety of other people? Point number four. The godly Israelite had to be honest. They weren't to steal. They were to look after things that had been lent to them. Now, the New Testament is clear. We're to do the same. It says, Who has been stealing must steal no longer. Are you a thief? Are you a thief? Do you photocopy illegally? Do you copy computer software? Do you copy CDs or DVDs? Do you fudge on your tax returns? Do you take stationery from work? When you borrow something, do you return it? A Couple of dozen people around here who've got some of my things i got a library full of stuff of it belonging to you as well. I'll start giving some of it back. That which I haven't broken. If it broke, do you replace it? If it broke, do you replace it? The godly person is honest. Point number five. The godly Israelite had to be kind to the disadvantaged. He had to look out for foreigners. He had to be kind to the poor. He had to look out for the vulnerable. New Testament says the same. It says, look after widows and orphans in their distress. It says, that is real religion. So are you kind to the disadvantaged? Do you have in your budget some kind of giving for poor people? Do you sponsor a child or something like that? Do you look out for foreigners? We get plenty of visitors from overseas here at church. Do you take time out to welcome them? Do you help them out if necessary? I should say it's worth saying a big thank you to our Simple English team. Uh, Here, Warren, Beth, Tom, Ian, Marco, they work very hard to help non-English speakers who come among us, not just to teach them the Bible, although that's a great thing, but in lots of other ways as well. That's excellent. The godly person is kind to the disadvantaged. How are you going on that one? Final point. The godly person is just. Israel had to make sure that people got just treatment. The New Testament says we're to be the same. It says don't show favouritism. Are you a just person? Do you treat people fairly? As I've been reflecting on this, it is very subtle, but I am nicer to people who I think I can get something from. You like that? You're nicer to people you think you you can get something from. Do you make sure you've got your facts straight before you accuse someone? Do you make sure you've heard both sides of the stories before you jump to an unjust judgement? If someone has done you wrong, do you have the guts to deal with it? Not unjustly sweep it under the carpet, but deal with it. Do you act with justice with integrity plenty to work on there isn't there plenty to work on it is overwhelming I think anybody with the slightest modicum of self understanding will recognise that that is overwhelming stuff we do fall so far short of God's standards friends do please remember these are not laws designed to save people only Jesus can save us only Jesus can save us. As you look at this and you go, whoa, I am so far short of God's standards, flee to Jesus. Don't say, I'll try harder. Flee to Jesus. Look to him for forgiveness. Look to him for a new covenant with God. Only Jesus can save you. But having said that, Jesus has saved us, so we'll live for him. And the Lord's here can help us. So as I said, and I'm going to give you a second to do it in, in, in a moment, just try to pick up one or two areas where you're not going well. Let's think about some practical steps you can take. Let's think about how you can better serve the God who has saved you through Jesus. I'm going to give you just about 20 or 30 seconds now before I pray. Have a look through those, uh, was it six points? Pick out one. Pick out something practical that you're going to change in order to serve the God who has loved you and saved you better. In a few moments I'll pray. A gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you have rescued us by your grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank and praise you that we stand right with you because of him and him alone. We pray, Heavenly Father, with thanks to you for this Pai the Old Testament law, for the way that it taught Israel how to live as your saved people. We thank you for your new covenant, your New Testament, that teaches us how to live as your saved people. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we might be people who respond to your salvation by offering our whole lives to you, living lives of joy and thankfulness. Living lives transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we may be able to be pleasing to you. Please strengthen us by your Spirit in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.